going to run at 10, so I'm in Hosea 9, 16. If rime is stricken, their root is dried up, they shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. The reason I wanted to start back in 9 is because this business with fruitfulness sort of flows in there. And in this case, Israel and Ephraim are the same thing. We're talking about the northern kingdom. And God's complaint is in 9 he says that they bear no fruit, and in 10 he says they're fruitful. And so what he's talking about there is material wealth as opposed to spiritual fruit. One of the things that God says in Deuteronomy is when you go into the land that I'm about to give you, do not inquire of the people who live there, how do you worship your gods here? Because in the ancient world, gods were thought to be territorial, and in fact, demons are territorial. So the idea is if you're moving into a new place, what you do is you go find somebody who lives there and is successful, and you ask him, okay, what do you got to do with the local gods here to get along? God specifically says, don't do that. We've said this before. It started with uh, Jeroboam with the two golden calves. But under Jeroboam, the two golden calves were at least nominally an expression of worship to Jehovah. And very much as the calf in the wilderness was. So the calf in the wilderness, God saw as an abomination, but Aaron and the children of Israel saw it as basically a focal point of worship for God. Because if you read the text in, in Exodus, it says, after they built the calf, tomorrow we will hold a feast to Jehovah. Lots of religions have a visual focus of worship. So in the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's icons. You know, they have these painted panels and all that kind of stuff. If you ask a priest, they will absolutely say, we do not worship anybody but Yeshua and God. All those are is a focus and an aid to worship. So the, the two golden calves up in Dan and, and at Bethel were originally in the same spirit as the calf in the wilderness, aids to worship Jehovah. When Ahab married Jezebel, she brought Tyrian gods from Tyre down with her and she instituted the worship of Baal. From that point on, you have the incorrect worship of Jehovah through the method of golden calves. Then you have a competing god that has come in, and, and I, I personally think one of the reasons God says don't do any kind of idols even to me is because it does invite this kind of confusion. If I've got this idol that I can see and I'm worshiping it and somebody else has got an idol they can see, they're worshiping it, very easily can confuse the two. And that's what eventually happens. What has happened with Israel is they started worshiping Baal under Jezebel and that never went away, even after Elijah. What God is saying here is the more their wealth increased, the more they worshipped Baal, because Baal is a god of agriculture and fertility. The deal would be, if you are worshipping Baal properly, you should increase. 
That's the reason you worship him. What God is saying through the prophet here is, the more they increased, the more they increased their idol worship. So now I'm down to 10-2. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. You'll all remember from Deuteronomy, what Moses says is when you go into the land, not only do you not inquire how the inhabitants worship their gods, you go around and you find all their altars and all their pillars and all their sacred groves and you destroy them all. We're not being tolerant here and multicultural. What what I want you to do is get rid of all that stuff. So anyway, God is saying, fine, if you guys won't destroy their pillars, I will do it for you. Verse 3, for now they will say we have no king. For we do not fear Jehovah. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words with empty oaths and make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. The calf of Beth-Avon is the calf at Bethel. Beth-Avon and Bethel are the same thing. Bethel obviously means house of God. Beth-Avon means house of wickedness. In prophecy, where God is speaking through a prophet, Bethel, the name is changed to Beth-Avon, indicating God's displeasure. Verse 5, the inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. Its people mourn it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of its idol. So the idea here is when Assyria comes in and conquers the northern kingdom, one of the things that they will do will be carry off the golden calf. There is in Rome somewhere bas-relief of the legion coming back after the sack of Jerusalem. What they're doing is they're carrying the menorah. You have this bas-relief where the Romans have put up this monument after the conquest of Jerusalem, and one of the things that they have are the symbols of the God that they have just vanquished. So when Assyria comes in and clobbers the northern kingdom, what they will do is they will take the golden idols, the golden calves, and they will take them back to Assyria, and that's what this is talking about. So I'm all the way down to verse 7. Samaria's king shall perish. And again, Samaria is the seat of the northern kingdom. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. And the metaphor there is when you drop a twig into a stream, it may float, but it vanishes and disappears. I would suggest that the idea here is when the Assyrians sweep through, they will come through like a stream and they will carry Israel off like a twig that's dropped in a stream of water. Verse 8. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. And again, the high places of Avon are talking about Beth-Avon, that we just talked about. So the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and the hills fall on us. Now, where do we see that again? So we're in the sixth seal, which is Revelation 6, 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. 
the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and every one slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So this passage in Hosea is going to be played again in Revelation. And notice who it is that's hiding. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free. So what we're talking about here are the people who are into idolatry. And depending on how literally you want to take this, for those of you who have been in government, most of you know that the government has got caves, bunkers, salted all over the place for just such an event as this. Okay, so you've got, you know, down in Cheyenne Mountain, you've got uh, several of them up in uh, Pennsylvania and Maryland area. So you have, if you will, these caves in the mountains that the kings and the generals will flee to, and the idea being that they're going to survive all of this and, and come out on the other side. This idea of people calling out to the mountains, cover us into the hills, fall on us, by way of taking protection, shows up a couple other times in Scripture. So I'm now down in Hosea 10:9. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel, there they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? We talked about Gibeah a time or two ago. This is the second time it's been mentioned. And Gibeah, to refresh your memory, is in the book of Judges, where there is a Levite who is traveling with his concubine, and he spends the night in Gibeah. And what we have is a replay of Sodom and Gomorrah, where... The people of Gibeah surround the house where he's staying and want him sent out so they can abuse him. And his concubine gets sent out and she is in fact killed. And that starts what's known as the Benjaminite Civil War because they take and cut her up and send parts of her to all the tribes in Israel and they all rally and go after Benjamin. And Benjamin is very nearly wiped out. So anyway, I am, I am inferring that that's what we're talking about when we're talking about Gibeah. Now down to verse 10. When I please, I will discipline them, and the nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke, Judah to the plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your follow ground, for it is the time to seek Jehovah, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Now remember we started all this off back at the end of chapter 9, where we were talking about Israel having become unfruitful. Then we talked about Israel being physically fruitful, but spiritually barren. In other words, the more physically fruitful they were, the more sin and idolatry they went into. So now what we're doing is we're coming back to the agricultural metaphor 
And Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. What would you think that might mean? What's the blessing on Ephraim? Fruitfulness. See, Ephraim is Joseph. And when you go to the passing down of the blessing that Abraham got passed to Isaac and then passed to Jacob, that does not go to Judah. That goes to Ephraim or Joseph. The idea is when they were young, they were faithful and they were fruitful according to their blessing. But now I will put Ephraim to the yoke. In other words, no more will he be like a young calf who is threshing simply because he enjoys it. Now he is going to be put under a yoke and is going to be put to purposeful labor under the hand of God. It's the difference, if you will, between doing something as a hobby because you just love it and doing something because you have to. Let's, let, let me, let's read it all, all of verse 11 in a swoop and see if we can make sense of that. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. And we have talked obliquely about Judah as we've gone down here. So God has not ignored the problems of Judah in all this, following our thought that we had earlier that this threshing is a calf, in other words, doing it simply because you love it as opposed to because you have to, that is also going to be put on Judah and then on the nation as a whole. Verse 12, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek Jehovah, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. I will refer you in this to the parable of the sower. The idea of sowing righteousness and then reaping steadfast love or grace and then breaking up your fallow ground, I will suggest the fallow ground that needs to be broken up is the heart. The idea here is the seed is what you sow and the seed in this case is information or righteousness and if you sow righteousness you will reap grace, which is steadfast love, has said, and then he's, in, he's saying, break up the fallow ground of your heart, for it is the time to seek Jehovah, so that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And so I will suggest you have sort of a mini parable of the sower there. You don't have the other three types of soil. This is simply uh, an exhortation, if you will, uh, to Israel as a whole that your heart has become stony and unproductive and you need to break it up so that it can produce. Now, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about the parable of the sower is the ground does not decide what it grows. The seed decides what it grows. The ground may kill the seed or the ground may nurture the seed, but the harvest is in the seed, not in the ground. You know, you can have the best ground in the world and if you plant wheat, don't go out there looking for cucumbers because you're not going to get any. Hosea 10.13 You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and the multitude of your warriors. Therefore the tumult of war shall arise among your people and all your fortresses shall be destroyed as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel in the day of battle. 
Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Let's unpack some of that. Now, in, in light of what we just said, you have plowed iniquity. So what do you reap? You then reap injustice. And, oh, by the way, you have eaten of that fruit that you sowed and you reaped. So you plowed iniquity, you reaped injustice, and the food that you then ate from it is lies. So just continuing in the metaphor that we were just talking about. And by the way, the lie is what? The lie that they are eating, if you will, is trusting in their own way and in the multitude of their warriors. Because you ate the lie and because you trust in the multitude of your warriors, therefore the tumult of war shall rise among your people and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. Israel has always been relatively weak militarily with respect to its neighbors. And the only thing that allows Israel long-term to prevail is the favor of God. The fruit of the lie that they're eating is trusting in themselves, their own army, instead of trusting in God. And then we have, therefore the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed, as Solomon destroyed Beth Arbel in the days of battle. Solomon is Salmanezer. You'll find that in 2 Kings chapter 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, different Hosea, not, not our prophet. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. In other words, he was an evil king, but he was not in the same caliber as, for example, Ahab, who brought Jezebel in. Bad king, but not in the top ten, if you will. Verse 3. Against him came up Salmanezer, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala, and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. So what he did is he took them, and he took them north, and he took them east. So back in Hosea now, as Solomon destroyed Beth Arbel in the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. So this is talking about the invasion of Salmanezer that finally destroys Israel. Verse 15. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn the king of Israel shall utterly be cut off. Would somebody like to close in prayer?